Hey everybody, welcome to another Wiser Wednesday. Here today with Casey Fenton, we're going to be talking about um, building trust. So, you know, it's a fireside chat. We're going to be deep digging into, you know, what is trust? Like, um, and look, there's some really interesting... You're in a really good position to talk about this, Casey, because you've, uh, you, you know, you, you've created Couchsurfing. Um, you're also the founder of Upstock. Um, you're based out in San Francisco. Um, so in the interest of trust, if you're watching like the premiere of this, um, we normally go out live, but we've had to record this. You'll see that this is not like the middle of the day in the UK here. So, um, so yeah, look, um, I'm, you know, for people who don't know me, I'm James Potton. I believe in a world of entrepreneurial success, um, without burnout. Um, and look, Couchsurfing was the large, it's being called the largest trusted experiment in the world. Um, so you're really good, well positioned on this, Casey. Um, and it's, it's also really interesting, like looking at this in a sort of post generative AI sense as well. So we met in Oslo back in 2018. Um, you were speaking in the lecture theatre that then turned into, uh, like nightclub with a DJ, uh, and a sauna. So, you know, only in Oslo. Um, so look, um, yeah, it's brilliant, wasn't it? It's was really good fun. Uh, so trust can like take years to build and can be shattered in an instant. So over to you, Casey, like how did Couchsurfing come to be? Um, well, thank you so much for having me on the show, James. Boy, uh, you know, I started off as a very shy person in this very small town. And I, you know, got into philosophy and I kept wondering if I would live and die in that small town. And so I got to thinking, how can I escape? What will be my escape route or my escape hatch? And I started thinking about um, this, this concept of experiences and like, how can I gain knowledge in life? I mean, I don't even, I'm just some kid in a small town. What don't I know? I, you don't know what you don't know. And so I started buying random plane tickets all over the world and just with this desire to explore and hopefully connect with locals and get the true experience. But very early on, I realized that I'm just buying plane tickets and taking pictures of statues and going home. <laughs> uh, and that just kind of drove me bananas. And w as a computer programmer, uh, any good computer programmer would say, uh, yeah, what any issue you come across, you're starting to look for lines of computer code that could maybe solve the problem. So I envisioned <laughs> a social network of sorts where I could meet other people like myself. We could stay in each other's homes. We could get to know each other. And thus the idea of cow surfing was born, but you know, it took many years and lots of thought and then uh, beta testing and iterating to finally edit there. So that was, that was kind of the genesis. I mean, there's so much more to the story, like, you know, flying to Iceland and, um, Iceland the there, yeah. Stories. Yep, there's a lot, lot, lot there. And it was, you know, quite a wild ride. Um, I'm still involved to a degree, uh, but I put in my 10 years and um, I'm happy to be able to work on many other projects now and advise many projects as well. So that's, you know, that's how it got started in the early days, but there's lots of trials and tribulations along the way and lots of lessons learned for sure. Awesome. And then more recently, um, you've been, uh, you know, you'll see uh, Upstock and, and, and when, you know, obviously doing a bit of research and like just trying to understand a bit more about your, your journey, it sort of feels like, with, with Couchsurfing, you were building trust like externally, like in the world and in, in communities. And with Upstock, you, you, you've almost kind of looked internally into the, the, the business um, and tried to look at, well, how do we how do we build trust like with our team and with our employees? So can you explain a bit more about like, you know, Upstock and how that works? 
Sure, absolutely. So if Couchsurfing was a backstage pass to the world to help you, you, know, be, you know, gain trust with people and then have some adventures to tell your grandchildren about or the adventures of your lifetime and learn and grow, uh, then I would say that Upstock is really about, it's, it's about sharing and it's about sharing ownership in the, the projects that you build and the companies that you build. And one thing I noticed early on is that it, you have to really get everyone inspired to do the best work of their life. And that requires, you know, there's different ways to do that. Um, and one of the greatest ways and most powerful ways and straightforward ways to do that is with worker equity. Basically, that means sharing ownership of the company. And the, it, it's based on this premise that whatever we own, we identify with. It becomes part of our personal identity. And mm -hmm. when we identify it with something positively, we want to improve it. It becomes like a low-level biological exponential function. And yeah. that can be such a game changer for a company. Imagine somebody's just thinking of it as time for money. It's just a job. That's quite different than believing that you're an owner. It's part of your identity. And you spend a lot of your waking hours thinking, how can I improve this thing that I own along with this, this with my team? And that mm. creates a state, uh, kind of an internal state where you want to look for every way to improve it that you can. And it happens automatically. So this is a, Upstock is really about bringing equity to the world, worker equity to the world, and increasing worker ownership from around 8% where it's at, where it's at now to 30% by 2030. All right, so that's, amazing. Our, that's our big yeah. Yeah, yeah, what, yeah, that's, I'm sure it's, it's, uh, that's going to be an uphill struggle because it's still, um, yeah, still doesn't necessarily land or resonate, um, with, with, I guess, you know, <laughs> that, that, I mean, it's really interesting, isn't it? You often have, like, you often say to people, like, you've got to wear different hats, you know, you've got the, the, the people who own the company, like, who start often founders and people who've invested into it, and then you've got the directors, and then you've got the team, and, and uh, yeah, founders are often kind of you know working at all three levels, um, but yeah, not always not always necessarily considering like how how to get the the best out of their team or to motivate their team. So sure. um, maybe we can dig into that in a, in a bit. But um, I guess uh, you know as it's about trust, like what 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 do you see trust as? Like how would you describe you know what in simple terms is trust? Mm -hmm. Well, trust means a lot of things to a lot of people, and it can be contextual. It could be personal. Um, a lot of times, I guess the way I like to talk about trust is that it's almost like a level of predictability. It's, it, it, and it can kind of go, cut both ways. But generally, I think if I get a little bit more academic about it, it to me, it seems like it's a level of predictability. And it can, it, it can be like, do I predict that you'll look, at, look after me or you'll take care of my needs in a time of in challenging times, that sort of thing. Or it could mean almost like, I trust that you probably won't look out for me. Um, I know that's probably likely. So you can trust somebody not to um, actually be taking your needs into account. But I think yeah. in the most common definition, it just means this person, um, like if I trust them or they trust me, they would probably be uh, looking, they would probably be looking to do things that would make me um, not be taken advantage of, but be more cooperative, like that help me and and vice mm. versa so it's really yeah. a, it's really an indicator of whether somebody is a cooperator are they gaming on behalf of the group versus are they gaming on behalf of themselves so there's a bunch mm. of different pieces to it it's, it's a complicated thing but you can there are ways to boil it down are you familiar with the hawks and doves sort of concepts if you come across i think it was in the selfish well, gene 
Yeah, a bit. Um, but go ahead. What, what, what about that? Uh, it's, it's more, you know, they, and, and they see it in nature quite a lot, you know, where like, uh, um, you know, a community of doves all live very happily and then a hawk comes in and starts taking and taking and taking and that slowly the community starts to realize there's yeah. a, a hawk uh, and generally the, and it, and it happens on a cellular level, generally that community eject like and so you know mm-hmm. hawks can end up perhaps being a little bit more nomadic um as a result mm-hmm. of you know the the, the community sure. ejecting that behavior mm-hmm. yeah i think that, that if you read the book tribal leadership it has a lot to do with this concept and it, it basically says that the tribe regardless of how much hard power you have if the tribe doesn't like you the tribe will reject you and you'll mm-hmm. find your way out the door soon enough even if you're the ceo or the owner um you know it really it really comes down to cooperation and, and game mechanics. Because people believe yeah. that you're looking out for them. They want to push you up, you know, exalt you. But if they feel like they're, that you're not looking out for them, you're looking out for yourself, there will be this glass ceiling that you won't be able to cross. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, super interesting. Uh, it, yeah, look. Um, and I guess, you know, looking at where we are now in the world, so, you know, couch surfing was like it, it you know it's before uber and airbnb and you know maybe inspired some of their thinking um so yeah he created it back in 2004 i think you know the world seems like a very different place um you know do you think you could launch something like couchsurfing like now in in, in 2023 absolutely i think that with ai um appearing pretty soon within a few months anyone will be able to create a website with their voice in fact they could say clone couchsurfing and um you know, and make it better somehow. Uh, there's going to be other problems, of course, which is how do you, um, you know, beat the incumbent where, where if the incumbent has all of the data and has all of the people already on the network, there's a switching cost where folks don't want to switch unless the new, um, I don't know, the replacement is 10x better. So there are, there are definitely some things there, but as I say, like one of the, the greatest things that gate the internet or the development of the internet and technology is developers. And when developers are, you know, being paid a lot uh, to create things, you can only move so fast. But with AI, I've been getting deep into AI in the last six months. Uh, this is going to all change. And uh, probably the cost of development will go down substantially. And it'll make it so that almost anyone can at least do a relatively simple app. And pretty soon it'll be, they'll be, anyone will be able to create any any gap really okay yeah yeah but then but then do you think that the human population has become like less trusting therefore it's harder to 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 you know get people to then use this thing that's being uh, generated by ai well i think that there are more and more systems out there that build trust. I mean, it's just every year there's more and more layers of trust infrastructure um, and services for companies or for your personal use. And with all of that infrastructure, it just makes it easier and, and there's less friction to achieve trust. So I don't see that that's going to go away. One thing that I do worry about is, you know, there's a famous research that said something like, was it 20, 30 years ago, the average person had a few people they could count on in time of need. And now that's like less than one. So this kind of isolation, everybody's more connected than ever, yet feeling more disconnected than ever. That's a major problem. Loneliness is a major problem. Mm, mm, yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, the, the sort of the double-edged sword of, of technology. And uh, although through through you know COVID, it certainly happened in the UK. I imagine also in the US, you ended up get, need like getting to know your neighbours. You know that that's that's happened like locally in communities where we wouldn't have got you know before people were get, getting on and needing their own life. So that's I guess that's something. There's been a localization of um, of uh, of connections in that in that way here. Would you say the same for you guys? Um, I would say so. Um, yeah, I think I think uh, you mean for couchsurfing or just in general? Uh, just just in general. Um, oh wait, can you repeat the question? I think I missed miss part of it. Oh, so like because but in the UK we had like quite long lockdown, so you know yeah. we were in a situation where you, the only people you really saw were your neighbours. So right. suddenly there's a localization of you know of, of mm-hmm. connections in that way. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I don't know if that's, that's necessarily here to stay. I think in a more globalized world, in a more connected world, there can be all kinds of permutations for sure. Um, I think that time will have to tell on that one. I, I, I would say that I'm just as connected. I'm feeling just as connected, if not more connected, with folks all over the world. Uh, I I have not felt the effects of that personally, so I guess we'd have to go to the, go to the research. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um... So uh, if we if we look at um, if we go back to looking at in within a within a business, um, yeah, like I think you know trust is the foundation of of a team being able to work. They, you then start to you get accountability, and then from accountability you start to get results and start to get things um, to work. But I mean, with what you're doing, um, you know, with Upstock and so on, like what are you observing? You know, what are the changes you see as a result of implementing shared ownership? Well, I think the, big, the biggest thing is when implementing shared ownership is really, well, what is the promise of shared ownership? And that is that you want everybody to work harder, work more efficiently, try to achieve big challenging goals together and ultimately help, help the company succeed and win. And when you, in the past, shared ownership has been difficult, complex, expensive, kind of lawyer bound, uh, budget bound. And as software is eating the world, as they say, the um, a lot of legal services, this is no exception. So I th- what I've seen is when you have a system that workers can trust and believe in and believe that they'll get their fair share if and when the company succeeds, that's when you get the greatest emotional buy-in and the greatest amount of trust. So really what our company Upstock is focused on is the equity plan communication piece of the equity triad, as I could call it. Uh, So in the equity triad, there's three different pieces of equity, parts of the equities ecosystem. One is cap table. Cap tables are the the place where you you record and do equity reporting for what does the founder have? What do the investors have? It's not very good at showing or inspiring workers, showing them what they have in an ongoing inspiring way. Also, it's mm. very limited, uses old technology often, um, often re- resorting to stock options. Uh, and then in the in another the, one of the other quarters of the triangle, we have equity plan creation. That's when the lawyer creates a big, long equity plan and custom tailors it to your company, and that could cost quite a bit of time and money. And then finally, in the and what I would argue is one of the more important corners, that is equity plan communication, which is really where we're focused. We do the other things, but this is where we're focused. 
is making sure that everybody understands what it is, why it can be trusted, what they get expect, potentially what the outcome could be for them. What, what might the payout look like if the company is sold or has an acquisition or has an IPO? Uh, if it 10Xs or 100Xs, what might your slice look like? And yeah. we, sh we constantly remind workers uh, what they have and we provide all the educational materials around those distributions. So that's kind of, that's what we're up to. And it's a, you know, a big goal because I think often lawyers are incentivized to make things more complex, more complexity equals more billable hours. So we have tried to create a system that is at least complexity possible, but also carries kind of the, the, the right default settings for most companies, most places in the world. Great. So it's, um, yeah, because it's almost the horizon, um, the, the sort of the, 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 the IPO or, or an event being too far over horizon, like prevents it from actually being a, an incentive, doesn't it? If you can't see what's actually happening almost in a more now time. Yeah. And often the IPO is something that becomes, you're not really knowing or thinking about it until you're almost there. And then people pile on and, you know, then they have some number that they're looking at that is a small game, uh, the, the share price, right? They can start to look and, and see what that is. But early on in a company, in a private company, that information is not really available or doesn't make sense. Um, and so we're here to make it simple, make it easy to understand, and then show people in visuals and mobile apps what their mm -hmm. share is, how it will vest. And then we even do dynamic equity where, where folks can um, di distribute equity based on dynamic factors like points or based on KPIs. Mm. Okay. Amazing. Um, what, what are some of, you know, trust, can, as we said at the start, you know, trust can be like very quickly, um, you know, shattered. Um, what are some other things that you've seen CEOs do well to like build trust internally? Well, yeah, there's a couple of the major things that come to mind. One is inspiring leadership. You, know, you can be an inspiring leader. Not everybody has those skills. It can take a decade. It took a decade for me to learn some of them. Uh, but inspiring leadership is super important. People want to follow somebody that they're um, that they trust and they're inspired and you know and called to action with. Also, um, you can create alignment and trust based on mission, vision, values. Hey, if you really believe in the mission, vision, values of the company, that creates alignment. That creates trust. And but I think both of those can be difficult for some companies to implement. Um, they can be confusing. They're, they're a little amorphous uh, and take time to, to learn. So I, I, I do believe that the most straightforward and most impactful lever on in, for trust and inspiration is um, long-term ownership. That creates long-term alignment. And again, whatever we own, we identify with and whatever we identify with, we want to improve. Uh, that's ownership mindset. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. No, it sounds, it, it, it's really interesting. You keep, yeah, you, you keep coming back to it and it's obviously, you know, you built, built the, the business around it. Um, it's, um, it's, yeah, it, I, I can really see like why it can, can be, could be such a powerful like motivator for team members. Um, do you, we, we kind of, there's this like tricky thing because we also want to like, look at this post-generative AI world. Um, do you think like externally companies should be upfront around, you know, when they've used, you know, 
ChatGPT and so on to generate content or to generate information? What, how do you think we, because tr- that area of trust is tricky now on social. Well, I think that it's almost like, I don't know, there's just a lot of ways to look at it. It really depends on how the context. If you're using AI to increase the speed at which you're able to serve your customers because you can create an FAQ, but that much faster, or you can research legal topics that much easier for your customers that it lowers costs overall, I think that could be a great thing. Um, mm-hmm. If you're using it to somehow um, mislead people or uh, you know do something that's not as genuine um, and get people to believe something that is not true, then that's a big problem. So mm. like any tool, it's very powerful and you got to be careful how we use it and how we um, inspire people to use it. Yeah, you know, there could be uh, situations where content needs to be labeled as AI. There's that whole big talk out there. And, but I'm a huge proponent of using AI. I think you can, it's, it's almost like getting a superpower for each worker. Well, while mm. what would happen in a world where everyone could, could um, do better work and do five times the amount of work? That's a pretty great world. I, I hope it won't mean that we just replace everybody or people have to go find new jobs. But I think there's a lot of upskilling, up-leveling of existing workforce to be able to do more. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess I guess it comes down to when it's... Um, uh, what would be an example? Like a book or something like that. Yeah, I mean, it, we're not... And we're not there yet. Mm-hmm. Um you know, it's it, it's at a stage where mm-hmm. um, I can't remember. Like I, I I tried to get it to do like a sort of ten chapter like, and it was just quite interesting. Each chapter, and it was around like the potential of using AI to like develop your business and so on. Mm-hmm. And it's quite you know, it was it was it was not. It was just interesting to see. It wasn't good enough to like mm-hmm. that, like put out there. Okay. And I was going to just be. It was going to be like prompted by me, not written by me. I was almost doing it like in a, you know, let's see like how how powerful this is, and it and it was quite repetitive. Once you were like on chapter eight, you're like, I've read the tail end of this like seven times already. You know? Yeah, I think that with that you have to you have to know it. You have to basically get to be a better prompt engineer, understand which technologies are better for this. Claude is really good for this because it has a hundred thousand token um, window. That it, it, it when you're writing, it's just such a more of a joy to use Claude. Um, just actually using it right before this. Really, yeah. yeah, you can yeah. upload your entire book and ask, okay, where are some places in this book that could use more research? Find that research, present me with three options, and then I'll, I'll pick which option I like, and then please give me some sample text that could be inserted there. Mm-mm. Okay, yeah, and, yeah. Whereas with ChatGPT, we're still stuck with, you know. It's just got 8,000 tokens and you lose context when you're dealing with bigger docs very quickly. Mm-mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's possible to split it up, put it in, but then what it can put back out again you, is limited. You, so. just, you just have to split it up constantly, constantly working with one or half a chapter at a time in ChatGPT. Uh, and it can be useful for very for plenty of things. I mean, you mostly use ChatGPT, but where it comes to longer texts, like we're doing our investor uh email update that is like 10 15 pages long todd is great okay cool well have to what's the url so we can share it like Uh, claude.ai c-l-a-u-d-e dot a-i okay cool just so people can go and see if they want to um if we if we go back to uh like just origin story with couch surfing you 
you, you actually like managed to you know get a, scrape the data off a, um, a web the university website and then like write to uh, I guess it was like was it a few hundred people yeah a few thousand people 1500 a few thousand okay amazing and then like you know then like a percentage said yeah you can come and stay on my couch and so that, that, that's super cool um, but interestingly I was um, you know talking about it with a female friend and, and she was like well it's like not what I could do she was sort of you know there's a kind of like white male privilege like like element to this like how what what's your sort of like you know thoughts on that and yeah. like how you know yeah, yeah maybe. It's, it's, it, there's, there's there's a few pretty easy solutions one is just just uh, surf with people that you feel absolutely comfortable with and that could be people who have a lot of references hundreds of references if a lot of people have stayed with them they have their reputation at stake um mm. that's one the other is stay with other women uh, that could be an easy, easy solution right there. Mm -hmm. uh, and so maybe that that's a solution. Everybody's different. Everybody has different um, concerns. So but those are two big ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. No, that, that, yeah, I, I guess, but like, between the two of us, we're not gonna, we're not gonna solve this. Um, it's not, uh, you know, our, our lived experience. Yeah. So, um, okay. Um, so look, I know, um, We've got to sort of uh, run a time time frame here. We've got to round up pretty soon. Um, is there anything that you you think that would be good to like share with the the audience? So you know, bear in mind it tends to be you know people who are on their entrepreneurial journey, sort of scaling or lead, leadership journey, um, and you know, what are some of the kind of key yep. um, insights you would share with them about trust and building yep. trust, both externally and internally? Sure. I mean, I think the biggest things about building trust are, you know, you having a personal sense of what that is for you and basically making sure that you understand the know, game mechanics, game logic, prisoner's dilemma um, of, you know, why, what, what does trust bring and what are defectors and what are cooperators and what happens when you bring a bunch of cooperators together. There's a good, there's a great book on givers, masters and takers. And uh, by a Wharton professor, and I think it's um, I have to I remember his name. He actually interviewed me for his for, the, for that book a long time ago. Uh, and yeah, and so it starts to break down into all the different ways in which people interact. And you know, you want to get more of the givers together, and maybe some matchers, but you want to avoid the takers, because uh, that's kind of like the the um, yeah, the one taker comes in and po poisons the well, so to speak. So I think there's, there's things like that. Um, when building a company, I think the elephant in the room these days is AI, honestly. If, you're, if you don't understand AI and you don't understand how it's changing the world, it's impossible to build a company unless you have understand all the ways in which it needs to be AI enabled because somebody else will build a company like that and they'll eat your lunch. So you got, it's almost like you got to stop everything you're doing and really understand AI. You can't wait. So... Awesome. Okay. Yeah. No, I com completely agree. Uh, and I, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a bizarre, it's a really bizarre time when a lot of the press is sort of rallying against it. I, I don't think they've helped by it being called generative AI. And mm. then you've got like AGI, like that, like G GAI, that there's basically yeah, like, you know, yeah. And they're not, and they're quite close. And yet one is, or, you know, not, 
is is a is a much more powerful kind of like message predictor that you have on your keyboard on your iPhone or whatever, and one is like taking over the world. So we're, we're, they're two like very they're very different things. So um, look, uh, Casey, it's been really great to have you on the call today. Um, Thanks, James. And um, yeah, look, it, love the you know you, you're talking about trust is about a level of predictability. I think that's just like really really powerful. And you know, there's a key takeaway here as well that creating a sense of ownership like also creates trust is you know there's almost like in it together type you know feeling in in in, in a business so mm -hmm. really really love that so um yeah, yeah look hope for, for the listeners they can go out and feel that they can consider how they can build more trust both internally and externally with their um with their their networks um if you want to like reach out like i don't know casey like what where you hang out the most but yeah, like <laughs> linkedin is a great place to, for folks to reach out love, love that um other than that um email email works out well as well just just hit me up fight away all right awesome so yeah but on linkedin um and yeah look you know next uh next month we'll be interviewing um uh, raja skugland which i think you know like from from oslo from from 2018 as well um so yeah we're, we're looking at that kind of founder journey sort of the zero to one uh, and trends obviously uh with ai um finally casey look thank you so much um really good to have you Thanks. on the call today and um yeah i hope everyone feels a little bit wiser this wednesday for listening so thank you Thanks, James. Cheers, okay. everybody. Bye.